Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Steph Weber. She is the CEO of The Weber Co., a branding and marketing company designed to help entrepreneurs deliver unparalleled impact by human connection, love that, with an authority brand. With nearly 10 years of experience, that's right, this is a real business owner with real experience. Uh, Working as a brand and marketing strategist, Steph helps brands implement the strategy they need to build impactful, profitable businesses which of course we love. Um, Steph lives in Indianapolis with her husband, Colin, and her son, Eli, who, by the way, I've basically known since he was born via Zoom. Um, They enjoy camping in the mountains, sleeping in a tent. You're literally insane. Um, On top of their forerunner, she has a heart for adventuring and a passion for helping people make an impact through a memorable brand. I love your bio because it really does reflect your team culture as well as the way you represent yourself to your clients. Like, I just can't get over the way that you're able to kind of, I mean, I guess that's your job. So you will dive into that, but like your brand is so authentic and it really is a common thread that runs through every part of your business. So how did you get here, Steph? Tell us everything. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, that's a loaded question, Kira, but let me just kind of start with the background. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And unfortunately that I watched that business not survive. And that was my senior year of high school which led me to working for small businesses and putting myself through school and through college. And this brand really actually started, I was an, I was a fashion beauty and travel influencer under the name Trendy and Indy. And my goal in that was really just to help our businesses here in the Indianapolis area, gain exposure, gain new customers and clients, and really be able to expand their reach. So that kind of became a whole thing for me for a few years until I realized like, this is great. And I'm sitting at New York Fashion Week in a runway show, which is a big dream for a lot of people in the fashion industry, especially influencers. And I'm going, something doesn't feel aligned. Something is not connecting here. And I need to do something different. I've got to shift. So I had been working with a number of different brands, really realizing that they were missing branding. They had the idea to bring in influencers. So there was some sort of marketing thought there. But their overall, when I would ask, why like why should i buy from you versus the boutique down the street why are people coming here what's your story tell me more it was like they hadn't put all those pieces together and why that was the driver behind the sales and the customers and the connection and the loyalty so we pivoted to the weber co to really be able to marry branding and marketing yes but to let the brand have its moment to shine to allow you to really build your authority and stand strongly in that and to allow the marketing strategy to do what it needed to do to do in order to support the brand. So now you see the Weber Co. as it is today, and we are an agency, and we do also have programs that you can come into and enter our space. So it's a really cool environment for entrepreneurs who are scaling to that multi-six-figure level is kind of our jam. Yeah, and I think there's there is a bit of a discussion about how branding plays into marketing, but I feel like you're one of the only people I follow that actually talks about that link that because you're not a designer, so you understand and value the design, but we rarely see that full-fledged conversation about the link between those two things. So, how did you decide that that was where you were going to carve your niche slash niche, depending on how you say that word. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I get it, Kira. Good question. So you're right. I'm not a designer. And I'm always the first person to say, I am the brand strategist. It's like, I'm not going to do your logo. I'm not over here to like tell you what your fonts and colors and all the things should be. Yes, that's a component of what we do. But it comes after we've developed your entire messaging strategy. Because those pieces are heavily influenced by how you're positioning yourself in your unique industry. So for me, I think I really made the connection between storytelling and how to bring that to life on social media and through a brand as a whole. And like, what does it mean to be a brand, right? We think about some of the big brands that we're really familiar with, like maybe Nike or Disney or whatever. And we can 
like reiterate Nike, just do it. And we know their tagline and we know the feeling that Nike creates in Disney. Like we know it's the most magical place on earth. And I just like have a heart for Disney. So maybe it's a little bit biased, but regardless, regardless, we know that the brand is very much tied to perception and to feeling. And so for me, that's where I was able to commit to make that connection and do it through storytelling and through messaging and positioning of the brand in a really cool and powerful way. And anytime I'm working with clients and I'm listening to them, I ask strategic questions, I listen, and then I put it into language that actually makes sense for the message they're sharing. They're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, listen, this is my jam, but I'm literally just listening to your purpose and soul behind what you're creating. And you're so closely tied to it. And it's like me, like trying to make messaging for the Weber Co. I'm like, I need a me for me. <laughs> Somebody listen yeah. to me and then spit it back. But yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It's it's really interesting because there's so much talk out there about your brand. You have to build your brand. You have to stand out from everybody else, blah, blah, blah. But even we just went through a rebrand and I don't, and I'm obsessed with it and I love it and I love our new website and everything, but there I think the reason that it hits so close to home is because of the relationship I had with the designer that built it. And I'm not trying to say that I know how to do my messaging or anything, but I think you're kind of that perfect link for the people that maybe haven't quite figured out where they can step into their like full voice and how the designer can take that and run with it. And then what your brand actually does for people, which I mean, I think some people are looking for that in a copywriter. Some people are looking for that in a content manager. Like we hire employees for people that don't know what that voice looks like. And it doesn't always work out that well. So it really no. does replicate across the board. What have you seen, especially in online business where our online based businesses, digital teams, remote teams, even with your own team where you've seen a really strong voice translate over to the success uh, within the way they're interacting with their own environment and their team environment? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think that anytime that you are hiring somebody to do copywriting, to do any kind of content creation, marketing management, anything for you, if you haven't laid that solid brand foundation and you don't know what your brand voice is and you don't really truly know what your message is, how do you expect to be able to share that with somebody that you're asking to have success within your business, right? As the CEOs of our businesses, it is up to us to make sure that our team members have success in terms of our expectations for them. And if we're not setting them up for success, then we're setting them up to fail. So when you don't have the messaging and you don't have the brand strategy and you're like, hey, content marketer, can I just like hire you and you'll figure it out? It's like, wow, of course there are disconnects and things start to not sound like you because they have no idea who you are and what you do and what you stand for. So it's very difficult for somebody to be able to come in and then replicate that and have success with it when there's not a brand foundation whatsoever in place. So we see it time and time again, which is why I think companies, I feel like there's a lot of turnover in terms of marketing, especially in like marketing related roles, because brands haven't done the work they need to do to set their marketing teams or their marketing person up for success. So then they get frustrated because they're not seeing results and the results rely heavily on what you're giving them when they first come into the job and the training you're providing and all the things. So it, it all goes together and that's like everything in business is so intertwined and we have to keep that in mind when we are hiring for those specific roles. Yeah. And I remember when we first met and, you know, God bless, you were like, yeah, I need this. Like you, I'm like your fifth client, but sure. Like throw it at me. Like, and you were so motivated based on the experiences and honestly, the emotions that you had from being on the opposite side of being a leader. Can you talk a little bit about that past experience? I mean, if you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So my whole background is in the fashion industry and I've had some really awesome bosses and I've had some bosses who we're not so stellar either. Um, and I think for me and experiencing, honestly, both sides of that coin, right? I got to see a lot of, okay, what do I want? What do I want to create? What is it that I want to be as a boss? And also what made me not feel great as an employee? What were the things that I was like, ooh, cringe as an employee that I don't want my team to feel? Because when I'm thinking about hiring people, I'm not, I don't want to just hire to fire and just, you know, that whole thing. I don't want to have a lot of high turnover. And at one of the companies that I worked with, I found out that they had like 19 people leave in a two year period of time. I didn't know that when I accepted the job and I may have like considered that if I would have known, <laughs> but everything happens for a reason and here we are and it's fine. But I think <laughs> from a leadership, a leadership perspective, 
you have to really turn inward to your past experiences and say, okay, what did I learn from this and how do I want to grow? And for me, number one was team culture and how do I want my employees to feel every day when they come to work? I wanted them to feel empowered. I wanted them to feel seen and heard. I wanted them to feel like they had some sort of ownership within the company and also could share that with their own communities. I didn't want it to be this weird thing where they were like, I work for the Weber Co, but I don't want to tell anybody that I work for the Weber Co because I'm not really sure, right? I want my employees to be super proud of the work that they do and the company that they work for. And I feel like sometimes in my past experiences, it didn't always feel that way. And I also wanted them to know that we run things in a very, um, I'm going to use the term ethical, but that may not be the best word here, but we run things in a very client-centered and just like community-centered way, heart-centered way, right? And that's just our vibe. We show up for one another, we show up for our clients, and that's the way that we lead. So I was really intentional about how I wanted that to feel and the emotion that I wanted there to be also with the buy-in of my employees into the company as a whole, right? If you're in a job where you don't feel like your voice is heard, and you have some ownership, you're going to be out, especially in in today's world. You're just like, what's the point? If I don't feel like what I'm doing has purpose, then why should I be here? And if I don't feel appreciated for that work, right? That was one thing in my past work experience where there were a number of times that I would go above and beyond and it wasn't even recognized. It wasn't even like, it was just like, oh, that's expected of you. That's what you should be doing. It wasn't didn't feel like it was appreciated or reciprocated or any of the things. Um, so those are those are a few things I would share with you, Kira, and your audience. <laughs> and I know it was a huge driving force for you to make sure that you had you really wanted to dig into like what was deeper about creating a culture within your company as you were moving into this new stage of entrepreneurship. And of course, the HR policies and stuff like that come in, but also the decision about what you wanted your culture to be like. We and you talk about this in a way that's like, obviously, we want people to show up like this. We want them to feel like this. It's actually okay if you want to have a culture where people are a little bit quieter on the back end and you just want them to come in and do their work and go home. That's going to attract a person that is essentially going to be able to lend itself to the culture that you're building. And so you being so we, I love when to hear people talk about how they want to build their cultures. Cause it's like second nature. Like I want this to feel like this. And we often don't think, Oh, well, not everybody wants that. Like, that's crazy. Like you might be hearing Steph talk and be like, that's really, really cool. I really appreciate that. I wouldn't apply for that job because blah, 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 blah. And so if, I think it was last year sometime we had an episode on your podcast about building your own employer brand. And how does that differ from in your experience of doing it on your own and how you're helping your clients to do that for their own brand? And is there a line between your employer brand and the brand that you're presenting to your clients? That's a great question, Kira. And to be honest with you, for me, I don't feel like there's necessarily a line other than the fact that I expect my employees have a level of obviously confidentiality in what we're doing here at the Weber Co. And they are, they're gaining so much insight into our proprietary knowledge and our systems and our processes. Also, our employees are helping to build our company, right? Like we are, we're a small company for lack of better terms. And we have experienced tremendous growth over the last few years. So the brand that we present to our clients is also the brand that you feel as an employee with the asterisk of the Weber Co. is paying you. It provides your livelihood. And also it's important to make sure that you're showing up in your own integrity. And if something feels out of alignment, then we need to have those difficult conversations. But I would ask my clients the same thing. Like if something's going on, like we're going to have a conversation about it and we're going to figure it out together. So I think. The other thing that I would encourage your audience to really hear is that if you are considering working with somebody, no matter what company it is, something that you should be thinking about is what their culture actually looks like and how they're treating their employees, because that is a direct reflection of how they are going to handle client situations and how you're going to be treated as a client and the experience that you'll have as a client. So like there are many different ways that you can do this and you can find this out. And I know over the last few years, especially in the coaching industry, there have been a number of instances with employees that have left because they've been unhappy and X, Y, and Z. And it absolutely affects your bottom line to your business as well, because your clients see that and they feel it, right? So you have to be really mindful of that as a business owner, that whatever's happening internally 
is also a direct reflection and directly impacts your clients and the expansion of your business as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I know that we've seen so much up and down in the past couple of years in the coaching industry in particular, but also just in general, like after coming out of the pandemic and there being a lot of friction and tension and desires for different things. I think going into this year has felt def- different than any other. I've only been an entrepreneur since 2020, but there's only, it felt different. It felt like we were able to reclaim like what we really wanted and who we really wanted to show up for us and like not be reacting to an industry, but instead we've kind of all become part of an online entrepreneurship or an online business space. And so the standard is higher and the government has caught on to it. As we all know, Um, there's plenty of horror stories out there, so we won't do that today. But I think that one of the things that I think it would be really cool for everyone to hear is how you've decided to pivot through the changes that you've made over the last few years. And you don't, you know, you're not a general business coach, so it may not be like replicable advice for everybody, but you know, exactly who you are. And that doesn't mean that you haven't been able to pivot. So can you talk a little bit about building the authority in your space and how that's given you a way to change, adapt, adjust, and how your team has been affected or grown or shrunk or, you know, all that stuff that comes yeah, along with totally. those inevitable moves? Totally. So I think if we even just take a look back and go back to 2020, Farah, there was still this feeling of almost needing to be all things to everyone, especially in the like business and marketing kind of space. It's like, oh my gosh, if I don't know everything, then people aren't going to want to work with me. If I don't know how to do marketing on LinkedIn and Pinterest and Instagram and TikTok and all the platforms, people aren't going to want to work with me. And I think there was some of that that I carried a little bit. And over the last couple of years, I've just realized what the Weber Co is really good at and what our strengths are. And we laser focus on those and that's it. We're in the middle of a huge restructure for our our group coaching program right now. And I'm super excited about it, but it's literally us leaning into what we know we're good at and where we excel. And so I think one of the biggest things that I would tell you is that if you're feeling something that doesn't feel quite right, take a look at what you're trying to offer people. And is it that you're trying to fill all these different hats and be all things to all people? Or are you really leaning into what you're great at and where you know you can help people have the biggest and best results? So that's that's been a huge shift for us. In addition to that, recognizing that we needed to have multiple different streams of revenue, a large part of our revenue for 2020, from 2020 and even some of 2021 was with one program. And while that was great, we needed to diversify in order for us to grow our business. And we wanted to support clients in a different capacity. So that's why we opened our agency, which is very much more done for you and hands-on, and it's just a different type of client. So it gave us expansion opportunities, and as a business owner, I'm always looking for that, and I'm always looking for team members that also want to grow and expand with me. If I have a team member that's coming in and is like feeling uneasy about the expansion, then I know for me that's a red flag that that is probably a misalignment because that team member is really comfortable with what we've done and they're not willing to adapt and change with you. And in a small business, that's not an option. You have to be willing to adapt and change as a CEO and with your team and everyone's gotta be on board as that evolution is happening. And so naturally for us, because of those pivots and those changes and me recognizing and realizing, A, what my vision is for the Weber Co., what my vision is for my life, That caused me to have some team changes. And those team changes have not been easy decisions. They have been decisions that I have spent many months, honestly, probably too many months mulling over and trying to decide what made sense. But that's because of the heart-centered business that I run, right? So this is where, this is for me as a CEO, where running a business and having people that I really deeply care about, uh, it can be a really difficult thing to balance at times. But I also know that in order for the Weber Co. to grow and serve our clients, and in order for those team members to grow on their own in a different capacity, I have to make hard decisions and have difficult conversations. And that's just kind of all there is to it at the end of the day. Pivoting and change is not, it's not comfortable and it's not always fun. But when you build great relationships with your team members, most of the time they completely understand it. They're super on board and they just want the best for you and you want the best for them. The end. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's really unique. You know, there's not a lot of businesses out there that and a lot of the leadership advice, a lot of the HR people out there are not going to tell you 
to show up as a person that cares about your team in a real and authentic way. But you've been able to do that. You know, I've seen it a little bit on the back end, but also just in the way that I've seen your team interact with each other, running, you know, your new hire orientations, how you're building out your programs, and you really do bring people along for the ride. But at the end of the day, when it is when it does come time to make that decision of either a separation or something along those lines, what's the thing that Kind of, because I know how hard it was for you to make that decision. You know, there was several months in between email questions. Um, so what was like the thing that was like, that's it? Like this, it's time to do it. It's best for me. It's best for the company. It's best for this person. What was the, I guess, if people are struggling with this as they're learning to pivot and adapt their business, it doesn't mean you're failing because you have to let a team member go. But what was the thing mm-hmm. that kind of pushed you in the direction of I got to do it like and I got to make sure I'm doing this now and there's no more waiting kind of a deal. Yeah, I'm going to answer this in a couple of ways. Number one, I had a mentor challenge me and say, do you feel like X, Y and Z people are meant to be on your team and are going to help you get to your bigger, larger million dollar vision of your company? And my gut response was no, I don't, because I think our company is pivoting and changing in a way that requires a different employee with a different skill set. And that for me, if my gut is saying that, then I already know what needs to happen. Then comes the, then comes the actual like decision and the actual conversation, right? So that's one. Number two was looking at our bottom line. Where are our dollars actually going? Are we profitable? We're businesses, you guys. Like we are in business, which means that we it is important for us to be profitable, for us to pay ourselves, for us to be in integrity of being able to pay our team members. And for us to actually be making sales and selling and and expanding, right? And there was a part of 2022 where I wasn't seeing that with one of our particular offers. So I had to make changes. And that is a very natural ebb and flow of business. But when you can accept that as an entrepreneur, instead of looking at all the ways that you feel like you failed, look at it as a learning lesson, accept your reality and make the decisions that you need to make so that you still have a company on the other side, right? Like that, that was always the end of it for me. Um, and the other thing too was in in making decisions to let team members go, I also would ask questions like, are you happy here? Are you enjoying what you're doing? And if the answer wasn't, hell yes, I freaking love getting up every day and being here. And the answer was sometimes, some days, then it's a no. And we've got both got to part ways because neither of us are thriving. And what's the point of that? Life is way too dang short for you to not be thriving in whatever it is that you're spending eight plus hours a day doing in most cases, right? So I think those were a few of the big things for me, just really, A, it's about alignment and your gut, but B, it's about your profitability and your bottom line and the direction that you're taking your company and being really honest and real with yourself about that. Yeah, and I think that can be a really hard conversation to have, but when it comes down to us helping our clients make these decisions or even friends, I mean, let's be honest, like I have a friend or two in my DMs asking me what to do about stuff. It's like, well, what do you think is best for this person? Like you've really spent the time to get to know them and to understand their strengths. And you mentioned, you know, you have a strengths-based business. Your business is going to go with what you are strong at. So if you're not able to, at a certain point, identify where you're kind of leaving someone behind or leaving them in the dust, that's where we start to create a really toxic environment, Um, especially because we don't ever want businesses to not be able to adapt and pivot with their team. But you can't drag people on your pivot. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to you. And it will literally it's a weight holding your company back, even if that person is trying their hardest to show up. How have you like maintained relationships with people that you've cared about for a long time while you've been separating your working relationship? Or how have you approached those conversations that have made a big difference for making sure that that relationship doesn't go sort of off the deep end? (laughs) Yeah. So first of all, to your point, Kira, about that feeling of just like dragging somebody along with you as you're trying to grow, your employees can feel that. I mean, anybody that's working with you, if they are feeling like you're going in a direction and they're not fully on and they're feeling like they're being dragged a little bit, that's evident to them, right? And so I think for me, number the one of the number one things I did was check in with my employees on a weekly basis. Every employee that I have here at the Weber Co. has a one-on-one call with me every single week. That was something at my previous position, I didn't even have an annual review. I mean, it, I, it was like I got some feedback sometimes on what I was doing, but 
whatever. We don't have to go back there. Anyway, back to this. Um, having we- those weekly conversations with my employees and really checking in on them, not only from a human perspective, but from a how's your role going and are you hitting certain deliverables? For me as as an employer, that was something that I had a really hard learning lesson in 2022 of what are the KPIs and what are the deliverables and are they clear for that employee? And if they're not, then I need to redefine them. And also if they're not hitting them, then that's a very easy and clear way to say, you know what, this is not in alignment and this is not, these are not things that you're doing that are actually part of your job description that you knew when you came into this role. So that makes the easier in that transition a little bit less hectic and less chaotic for everyone involved. That being said, Kira, whenever I go to have these difficult conversations with employees, first of all, most of the time they they know it's coming. And I usually will start it by saying, I've got to have a conversation with you today. And this may not be an easy conversation for either of us, but it's necessary for your growth and it's necessary for my growth as well. And that's kind of like how I'll start things. Um, and I think when I'm more transparent with my employees and just honest with them, they're more willing to be transparent and honest with me as well, which means that I have employees that no longer, I have past employees that no longer work for the Weber Co that I still have great relationships with and I'm watching them thrive and I'm supporting them and they're doing the same for the Weber Co. And that feels really good because I've made the intention to say, Hey, I prioritize you as a human being and I love you dearly. However, this is not a right fit for you anymore because of the direction our company is going. You need to go thrive and we need to go thrive and we've got to do it separately. And that's okay, but that's the decision. And that's like, that's just it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think being in that energy and being in that space, my employees have felt like, wow, thanks for treating me as a human and not as just an, an employee or a number who was trying to contribute to your business, you know? And I think that there's a level of respect there that is important and that's not, not always valued. And it's really, you know, I love to hear you say that. I feel like I could just like put you on a billboard and be like, just go listen to Steph and then come talk to us. Um, But (laughs) I feel like it's really, it's not a hard or it's not an easy lesson to learn to come and approach these conversations from that way. And we see a lot of leaders that are, I hear a lot of cop out answers to things like, you know what, I got a business to run and you're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the end of that. And the person is like, uh, yeah, but like, uh, and it's like, listen, we run small businesses. You do have time to sit down with your person and give them mutual respect to make sure that you're doing your part to get what you can out of them. Does that mean that no matter what, you're never going to fire someone? Absolutely not. Like we'll have a whole episode on how to fire someone. You might fire someone and they might not know it's coming. I've done it. I've done it recently and it sucks and it makes you lose sleep and you feel bad and maybe you wait too long. But that feeling of, holding on to a relationship, that's what life's all about, right? Like we can't be showing up for our businesses and showing up for our clients, creating, like you said, impactful, profitable businesses if we're not showing up for our team and not taking for granted of the impact we have on the people that work for us. It's super like, you gotta show up, it's like, come on, you've got six people on your team, like show up for them. Like they deserve to have your attention and respect when they're the ones that are keeping the ship running. Now, at the end of the day, there is sometimes situations where our employees do have to be redirected. I don't know if you've had to do that much in the Weber Co., but I know you've I know you've had to do that often in your life in general. Sometimes we even have to do it with our husbands, although don't tell them I just made that analogy. Um, but what is some of your I loved the tip you gave earlier about just introducing the conversation. Like this isn't that easy for either of us, but let's jump in and get direct with it. So what are some of your other ways that you are able to communicate clearly and directly with your team, even if it's not about something so fun? Any any like hacks or tips that you can I, share? Yeah, I think, Kira, for me, it always comes back to allowing both of us to reflect in a space instead of going into a conversation where there's blame or there's accusations or anything along those lines or assumptions, right? Like that's another thing that happened to me in previous roles. It was like, well, this is the assumption that's being made. And so I'm going to bring that and I'm going to put that on you. And it's like, you have no idea what's actually happening. And we have to also remember our employees have lives outside of our businesses. So there may be things that are affecting them. And when you take a minute to just say, hey, can we check in and can we just be honest with each other for a second? How are things going for you? Like what's happening in your life? Like what's what's up and what's going on? That's something I feel like we've done a good job of is allowing that to be 
known. I mean, I have a child who the past year was in and out of the doctor. We had surgeries. Like, it's been a whole vibe, right? And so my team has had to pick up a lot of the slack. And I'm just like, guys, I'm just trying to keep it together on a day-to-day over here as a mom and with our clients and all the things, right? So I'm just real in that way. But I think the other thing, too, is actually giving moments of evaluation and doing quarterly evaluations with your employees and giving them honest feedback on what they're doing well and where you'd love to see improvement and why. Like, what are you noticing and recognizing and asking and saying, you know, is this something that you're feeling too? Or tell me about this specific piece of your job because I just have a few questions for you on it. Okay, give your employees a chance to respond. Then you can go in and share your feedback and say, okay, like this is how I'm feeling as well and this is what I'm seeing. So let's create a plan together in order to correct this, right? Again, it's the buy-in and it's the opportunity for your employees to take ownership of their role and have a buy-in to your vision too, right? Your employees are not, they're not dumb. They know that they're, they have certain KPIs and if, if no one is helping them see, hey, you're not hitting these, what's going on, then they just think, oh, it's fine and it doesn't matter if I hit those KPIs or if I don't, right? So again, there's this level of, working together and creating together that you have to be willing to do. And you've got to be willing to show up for your people and provide feedback when it's necessary. So some, yeah, like I said, something we do are those quarterly reviews so that my employees, they never have a question in their heads about what's actually going on. Am I doing okay? Am I not? And I made it really clear from the beginning, if you have a question about anything, you've got to come to me and I can't address it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And we in sometimes we'll hear and this is another cop out thing, but we'll hear in our space, especially in HR and management and management training, people are always like knocking the performance evaluation. They're knocking the one on ones. They're like, blah, blah, these don't who cares? Like nobody cares about a performance evaluation. Well, let me explain where that comes from, because basically in big companies, HR will have an evaluation that a manager is supposed to go through where they're supposed to coach their employee through something and then they're supposed to turn it into HR. So now we have a watered down version of what we're actually trying to accomplish. And that's what we're starting with. And oftentimes people and managers don't actually know how to show up for their team because the managers aren't actually getting coached by anybody that has actually done anything like this. So when we talk about, and I know in your orientations as well, this comes up is you have evaluations throughout your career here. And that's because that's your time to sit down and talk about your career here. Every other conversation we have is probably going to be about my business. So by not or disregarding or not taking seriously the time that it takes to give real solid written down time sensitive feedback on a schedule, it shows your employee that they don't matter. Their job doesn't matter. Their career doesn't matter. And the bosses, the leaders that we see that are prioritizing the discussions, the weekly, quarterly, monthly, however you can do it, even if it's just annually, as long as it's prioritized and it's taken like Really seriously, it's showing that you actually have value in that person's career. And that's where you start to build a lot of trust. So I know we always want to make sure that we're starting out with trust with our team. And I think that actually goes all the way back to what you teach, which is about the values and about the vision for your team and about how you're helping people do that with their businesses. How do you show up for your team and what priorities do you make? Because you can't fit it all in. You're, you've got millions of things going on and that's Totally fine. That's totally, totally fine. But what are the things that you prioritize in the day-to-day management of your team, the month-to-month management of your team that helps to really cultivate that trust and has impacted you being able to keep employees for a really long time? So I think one of the biggest things that we did, especially when we we had multiple team members right now, I'll I'll just be really honest with you. At the beginning of 2023, we have, it's just myself and one other team member, and then we have contractors that we work with. So myself and Fran, we meet together every single week and we talk on Slack all the time. And that obviously that looks a lot different than it did when I had Mm -hmm. a team of five of us and we had a weekly team call. So all of us would wrap our heads together at the beginning of the week. And at least once a month, I would bring everybody back to the vision of our company. Why are we here? Why are we doing this work? What's the purpose and what's the point? Because I think so often in those team meetings, it's like, what are our goals this month and how are we all going to partake and like make sure that we hit them? And while that's great and that is important, it's also like, what's the bigger purpose that your employees are actually buying into and feeling like they're contributing to? So at least once a month, I would bring everybody back to that. 
And then we can have the goal conversations and the how is everyone contributing and what are we all working on and how can we support one another? That was another thing that I feel like our company does really well is how are we all working collectively together to hit this goal? And especially in a smaller business with a smaller team, you do all work together. Every role impacts one another and realizing that and making sure that your employees know that upfront is super important because if you have an employee that's coming in and their whole experience is corporate. And so they've been on, it's like them with maybe three other people and that's their little department and that's it. And they don't realize and recognize, oh, what I do also impacts sales and marketing and stuff and everybody, that can be problematic. That can be, that can be tricky, right? So again, it's like setting those expectations up front. And when it's out of alignment, you have the conversation in and around it. But the more that you can get your team together and create just a feeling and sense of openness and honesty, even throughout the team. I mean, we've we've had plenty of difficult team situations and team members not agreeing on things and butting heads on things. That's human nature because we're all different beings. But when that happens, if you as the CEO step in and say, hey, let's address this and figure it out. That's a much different end result than you pretending like the issue doesn't even exist and not doing anything about it, which I know is what some CEOs do. And that's not great either. So make sure that you are addressing those things. But yeah, that's that's what I would say. And when we have a, it's Kylie and I as well, and we have a team of contractors that we work with. I think a lot of people think, and we've had other employees come and we've made hard decisions and we'll hire again soon. And, you know, we have a lot of stuff has changed in our business and that's like kind of awesome. But I love that you're able to talk about having a lean team that's supplemented by other experts without, you know, necessarily putting anybody in a spot to feel like they're less than or like your company's not successful or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that one of the things that people are always bringing up to me is that I, they think I just want everybody to have a million employees. And I'm like, no, because actually I think most companies have too many employees. And especially in our industry, our primary overhead is our payroll. So we're thinking we can afford a lot of things and that might be true, but there's an energy exchange that comes with, and we talk about this all the time. So sorry if you've already heard me say this, but there's an energy exchange that comes with having people on your team. And sometimes as a CEO of a small business, we can't show up for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 other people. We actually have to look within ourselves and think, maybe my business can handle this, but what do I really want? And I think that's when you start to be able to pull the levers of growth and taking a break and you know maybe taking a step back versus being in a phase of growth and things like that. Um, but you can't just do that on the like flying off the handle. Like You kind of have to plan for it. You have to be legal. You have to make sure that you're paying attention. So as you've made this transition and you've been so supported by so many people, what were, and now as you've decided to bring on contractors for their, those certain roles, what were some of the reasons that you decided that contractors would be a good fit? And I'm only trusting you to say this because I know you know the laws. I, there are a lot of people out there that would give really bad advice, um, but I know that you have probably been really strategic about this and putting people in those roles. And what were some of the reasons that contractors were a better fit than employees for some of those positions? Well, I think, Kira, a lot of it goes back to what you just said, which was a lot of our a lot of our profits, a lot of our funds as small business owners goes to our payroll. And people think, oh, I'll ha hire this employee and I'll pay them X salary. Well, you also have to consider your taxes and paid time off and all of the things for your, em your employees, right? Because there is a difference between somebody who's that and then somebody who's a contractor. And for me, recognizing where I needed to have just one person focused on one thing that's a weekly task, like our podcast. Actually, my former content and marketing manager, Whitney, who I love dearly, she edits our podcast, but she is a contractor and that's all she does. She edits the podcast weekly. She creates my graphics and like that's that's her designated role. And I pay her her monthly contractor rate and boom, boom, we're done, right? So for me, recognizing and realizing where do I need to offload, but it's not going to require a full-time 40-hour week position in order for somebody to take this thing off my plate that I really don't wanna do and don't have great expertise in anyway. I don't wanna edit my own podcast, that's so not my jam. <laughs> but I can pay one person to do that who knows me, who knows my brand voice and can just take it and run, right? So I think for me, it came down to the decision of, okay, 
it's not a full-time role for sure. I know that. And, and even when I've had employees who were like, listen, Steph, I, what I'm doing here is not 40 hours a week. They're just, they're just honest, right? I just attract honest people. And I love that. So then saying, okay, great. Well, what is it that you are doing? And does it make sense for you to be a contractor versus being here and having this expectation of the full-time employee kind of thing? Um, so that was, that was what made sense for me. Along with that, when you have a contractor, typically it's just like, this is the occasion. Here it is. You maybe touch base every once in a while and you can just move. So it's a little bit less hands-on than your team and your employees. Not that those people are not hugely important and still need to know all the things about your brand. They still have their hands on your business, so they absolutely do. But it's definitely a different relationship. Um, and that may be best dependent upon what stage of business you're in. You just have to be, you have to be very task specific um, and make sure that if you're asking a contractor to do things, that you're asking them what they charge for that time, right? Because if they have a set, this is the expectation, and you're like, can you also do this and also do this and also do this? They're not an employee. They're a contractor. So be mindful of that. Yeah. And it's really, I think it speaks also back to building your company culture because there are going to be times in your business when you are going to need more legwork. Like your offers are going to be structured in a way that's going to need more support. And your business is going to be structured in a way that needs more support in certain areas or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you have to be able to kind of bend and tweak your team in a way that supports that. Corporations do this all the time. It's not that unusual for a small business to have to remove a role or rehire someone else or whatever. Um, our advice is always build the role based on what your business needs first and not what the person can do. Um, but you can often find strengths for that person to shine within their role. And it can be really hard to come up with or to find a way to manage that person into their strengths if they're not aligned with the role. But something you mentioned, which was about all the excess costs that come with employees like insurance, paid time off, all of that. I love that you approach that in a way that's like, obviously, you're going to provide all of these things because that's your culture and that's what you stand for. However, you don't always have to. So for I think you have to really know and understand what kind of culture you want to build before you even take a step to hire an employee, not only because there are freaking laws, you guys, um, but also <laughs> because those things that you're deciding to provide for your team are directly building the culture that you're going to be able to upkeep. And when it's really in alignment, it's a lot easier. That energy exchange is a lot easier when you're able to show up in that way. And a lot of times we're able to kind of play a little bit of cost benefit analysis to make sure that your team that's internal is doing things that are legal and they're accountable and they're showing up for you. But you're also in turn actually showing up for them in the way that you want your business to show up for somebody. And I think, you know, as much as Paradigm is a very small lean team, I do manage a business that has 40 employees and it's very service oriented business. And so the people are the actual product, but it's a completely different ballgame at that level. Losing one employee doesn't make as big of a difference as if we lose an employee when we have four or five team members. And so if your experience is like Steph's in different types of work environments where there's a lot of people and there's other people that can cover for you and things like that, it may be really hard to translate that over to running a online-based team with a few other people. You can't take the things that you learned in corporate and think they translate over directly because they absolutely do not. And that's in the good way and in the bad way. You know, I love it when companies want to offer benefits and things like that, but I also love it when companies have support when they need it if they can't afford a full-time person. So you can build it and tweak it the way that you want to. Um, I know that you get to see a lot of businesses grow underneath your guidance and, you know, kind of, I don't want to say coaching, but I guess it is really coaching their businesses on how to grow. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they start to get to the point where they have to decide whether or not it's time to hire? Well, number one, people wait way too long to hire. They're like, oh my gosh, I need someone yesterday in order to help me with this thing. So then you find someone, you take the first person that applies or the first person that you're connected with and it's completely misaligned and it ends up frustrating for both you and for them. So that would be one of the things that we see. Uh, another thing is that people hire way too many people. And I am I will raise my hand and say, yes, I have done that as well. So learn from this podcast and the mistakes that I'm sharing with you because it's not fun to be like, oh, crap, I think I hired too many people. And really, this is the role that I actually need, not 
the three different people to be doing different parts of this one role. So again, important to say, okay, what, what do I need to be able to hire for? But this comes from you being able to forecast in your business as well, right? And being able to actually look forward and say, okay, I know that this is kind of our growth pattern and this is the road that we're headed down. What are my needs going to be at that next level and at that next point, what are the things that I'm going to need somebody to actually be able to do so that I can lead the vision and not be so hands-on with clients or working in the business all the time, but I can be focused on its growth and its expansion. So I think definitely hire before you think that you're ready. We're never ready for anything. It's like any investment that you make. The other thing that I would say is that so many people look at their employees as a cost. It's like, how much is this going to cost me? How much is this going to like, how much is this going to hurt my pocketbook every month? What's, what's going to be the monthly total cost of this person? And instead of looking at your employees as this huge cost, look at your employees as what's the opportunity? What's the opportunity here in order for you to have your time back, in order for you to be able to expand and grow, in order for your clients to be served at a different capacity, in order for somebody to bring new freaking creative ideas to your business that wouldn't otherwise have been brought have you not had you not hired this person. So yes, is hiring people for your business a risk? Sure, but how do you choose to look at it? And that is a direct reflection also of how you're going to treat your employees. So those are the few things that I would say in terms of just when, what, what mistakes do we see? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I know. And, you know, we make all these mistakes all the time. Like, I can't tell you enough, like, how many times we have to look in the mirror and actually even get somebody else's perspective. Usually it's like a trusted colleague or another, like one of our leaders in our company or my husband and be like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, that's not Mm -hmm. real. Like, stop it or whatever. And you just don't really think about it in a way that's like logical. And I think there is a bit of shame that comes in the team stuff that I've learned over the last couple of years, even just in our messaging, is that people feel ashamed when they mess up something with their team, because we do want to put a lot of stress on the fact that these are humans, they are not resources, contrary to what my career tells you. Um, And if they mess up, or if they have to fire someone or whatever, they take it to heart. But really, we just want to do our best. And when you're showing up for your people in the way that you best know how, there's always going to be a lesson to learn from it. But the nice thing is that usually no one's going to die. So as long as you're accountable, like we can all show up in the best way that we can, and you are going to suck at it. You're going to suck at leading people. You're going to suck at managing people. But I think that first employee is kind of pivotal to the journey. And if you, like to your point, people do wait too long. I think they wait especially too long to hire an employee. And once you hire one, that doesn't mean that every person you hire after has to be an employee. In fact, like most of the great businesses that I know that are super sustainable and really the people that are living out the life that we're all shooting for is are the people that are supported by one key person that's helping them lead the charge in their team. And maybe there's a couple of other employee employees in there and contractors as well. But don't be afraid to take that first step and get that number one support person that you can bounce ideas off of and collaborate with and mess up and they're not going to hate you for the rest of your life. Like those things are all possible to do. Like it's okay. And it's not going to like kill your business if you decide to go in a different direction. But you can't get good at it until you do it. And I think people feel a lot of shame when they mess that up. And so they're afraid to start. But often it's like the biggest the biggest impact they can make in their business is making sure they have really solid support that they can build off of. So what do you think? Yeah. Is best? What are you the best at? What are you the absolute best at more than any other leader, more than any other manager? If it's a hard one lesson, if it's something you were born with, like what is like Steph Weber, like the key component to online business leadership because of X? <laughs> I would say creating community and the ability to create, I would say this in our bio, but real human connection. You said it too, Kira, like we're humans, human beings, like humans with feelings, <laughs> with goals, with dreams, with visions. And I think for us and for for me and my strength, that's how I approach everything in business. It's from a human impact perspective. And how is this affecting and impacting other lives? Whether it's your brand strategy and the messaging and what you're sharing, or it's how you're building your team and what the conversations that you're having with your employees, right? So that would be for us, it's like that community and that human human connection that really all of us are craving, but 
we don't always get in our relationships and life as a whole. It's like we're seen as numbers so often in so many different settings. And we don't see our clients as numbers or our employees as numbers. We see what's the impact and expansion that we can have collectively in order for the Weber Code to become the go-to for branding and marketing, especially in this online space. Love it. And you're so good at it, by the way. Um, So before we go, because I'm sure we could talk forever, can you, I call it the desperation minute because I stole it from another podcast, but talk about how people can work with you, where they can find you, how they can reach out to you, um, you know, be in that community of yours that is just like so iconic at this point. (laughs) Totally. Yes. The desperation minute. I love it. So fun. So there are two really specific ways that you can work with the Weber Co. Number one, connect with us on Instagram. We'd love to hang out with you there. We do have a TikTok. I'm exploring TikTok. It's just, it's <laughs> like a fun, we're just seeing what happens there and that's fine for me for now. Um, but you can hang out with us inside of our agency where we support ha- we support our clients in a super hands-on capacity. So this is done for you work. It's copywriting, it's brand strategy, it's launch strategy, it's website design and development. It's us coming to your photo shoot or coordinating that if we need to. It's so many different layers and, and components, but really everything that ties back to how are you becoming the authority in your industry and building that brand uh, that is based in and around what you do and your level of expertise. So that's our agency. And then we do also have our coaching program, which I mentioned is going through a really huge and amazing overhaul right now. We've had this coaching program alive and around really since its bones were built at the end of 2019 and it has just grown so much since that time Uh, and that coaching program will be very specifically focused on launch strategy and how to help entrepreneurs take their business from that 50 to 70k mark and over into that multi six-figure mark through really strategic and not stressful launches so that's our gym and that's where we're what i have never heard of her (laughs) i know it's very exciting (laughs) i know it's very exciting that's amazing i'd love to see i'd love to watch you grow i love chatting with you so hopefully everyone will go and connect and listen we'll also link all of that in our show notes and um listen to our podcast episode from last year about on steph's podcast branded because that was really fun to talk about having an employer brand and to really see it come alive I guess over the last year in your business is cool to see too. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.